the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In uh, Cabot right now, 73 degrees. Conway and Little Rock, 74 degrees. And it feels like uh, 81 degrees right now. And it's going to be like that throughout the, today. Uh, we'll get up to about 91 degrees uh, today. And uh, looking at my weather, it says uh, before the day is over, uh, you're going to feel like you're about 102. So keep that in mind. As long as the, sun, the skies are sunny, I'll like it because I get off the air and I take a little nap and then I go out and sit by my pool during the afternoon. I love that. All right. Seth Mays is here from uh, the RNC here in little, uh, in Arkansas. And then Ken Yang is here as well. He's a, uh, a very well-known conservative Republican here in uh, the state and, of course, uh, across the the central part of the state as well. I'm Dave Ellswick. we got a lot to talk about today. Last weekend was the Arkansas GOP uh, state convention. A lot of things went down. There was, uh, well, let's just start off by talking about the platform first, guys, and our principles uh, under the the, uh, the uh, Republican Party. Let me run through them for everybody. This is the PowerPoints for you. Uh, here are our principles. The power of faith in God Almighty, the sanctity of life, individual responsibility and initiative, individual freedom and liberty secured by a limited government, private property, lower taxes to produce economic growth, a strong national defense, the personal right to own and bear arms, excuse me there, the equal and just enforcement of the law, and separate and equal branches of government. Now, as I sit here and look at these principles, uh, gentlemen, I can tell you that uh, we're arguing over a few of those here in the uh, the state right now. Uh, separate and equal branches of government is a is a, is a, an area that there's going to be a lot of discussion and a lot of I think argument uh, coming up during the uh, session, the general session that starts in January. And uh, the other part of this, uh, I think, perhaps the equal and just enforcement of the law. Uh, and how do we get that to be accepted uh, by some of the uh, mayors here in uh, Arkansas who are not uh, enforcing the law and protecting their citizens with the uh, local, our local version of uh, 
protests and riots. I mean, we've got we get protesters that are showing up at Walmart, Walmart closing their stores down and people can't go shopping, all those type of things. How do we how do we impress this upon upon them? How do we make them uh be answerable to their own citizenry, so to speak. I'll I'll start off with you, Seth, and uh, you can you have your say, and then Ken, I'll let you talk about this. Sure. Good morning, Dave. Thanks as always for the platform. Uh, no pun intended there, as we talk about uh, our state party's <laughs> platform. Uh, of course, as Chairman Webb noted at the start of our state convention last Saturday. Uh, the important takeaway, I think, is there are no major changes um, really to the Arkansas state platform. The things that did change uh, were things that uh, really we felt the General Assembly had already accomplished. So the calling for the elimination of the GIF funds uh-huh. or saying that we are supportive of computer science measures. Correct. You know, those are things that we have done in the past, and we want to keep our platform Uh, more abreast of the times that we're in. So calling for the things that we've done uh, didn't seem to make a lot of sense there. But uh, none of the principles, which are at the very front of our platform, changed. We always say if you pull out the Democratic State Party's platform and search, uh, do a word search, there is no mention of God whatsoever. And in our platform, of course, it's in the very first principle uh, that you mentioned. And so no major uh, changes to the state platform uh, that we had. And I would encourage people, too, to go back to your show from Saturday. Um, it, I know it was very jam-packed. You had on Belinda Harris-Ritter, the chair she was um, great. of the platform committee. She is, absolutely. And then Ryan James as well from the platform committee. And, and those two really oversee this. You know, they spent a whole day in the platform committee, a nine-to-five day going through line-by-line of the platform. Uh, and to ultimately reach that, hey, nope, this is a document we still agree with and it still holds up. Um, I think it just speaks to the work that they have done in years past in getting this platform to where it's at. So if anything, it wound up being a shorter document because of those paragraphs that were taken out for issues that were no longer um, of relevance, uh, which I think is pretty rare in government to walk away with a shorter document than where you started and not something that was longer. So no, I would say it was very productive, and we also elected our presidential electors, and so it, it was a really packed um, Saturday. Yeah, it was good. It was very, very good. Ken, you were there. I was pleased with how uh, things were ran. I thought uh, that Doyle Webb did an excellent job of keeping it going and, uh, you know, voting on the different uh, uh, resolutions that were out there, and all of them but one was uh, – uh, accepted, and I'll talk about that resolution here in just a moment with you. But uh, uh, I think everybody has to be pleased with the way Doyle Webb has re- run the party over the last last decade. Uh, December is going to be interesting. We're going to be electing a new uh, chairman of the uh, Arkansas uh, Republican Party, and uh, I know of one name that's out there. I know of a couple of people who are considering. And if they throw their hats in the ring, it will be an interesting race. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that uh, December will be interesting if some of those people uh, get in. Um, obviously, you know, not that we always do things is how things are done, but uh, the, the governor 
uh, always has a pretty huge say of who the next uh, state party uh, chairman is, similar to, you know, President Trump has a huge say of who the RNC uh, chairman, uh, well, right. chairwoman, in this case, is. But uh, as Seth mentioned, you know, you know, they went really smoothly for the for the most part, especially the platform part. And, you know, for me personally, you know, that that first principle is the most important, the power of faith in God Almighty. Um, yeah. you know, we added a word. We yeah. added a word there. Yeah. Um, and, Demo- you know, the Democrats can keep saying what they want. Uh, you know, uh, especially some of the Democrats that we may like that that are running or serving or whatever. Well, you know, this isn't. You know, I'm I'm one of the old timey Democrats. Well, if that's the case, the Democrat Party has left you, and you agree with a party that doesn't uh, recognize God, and you agree with a party that doesn't recognize the sanctity of uh, human life. And so, you know, I just find it real difficult. You know, you 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 won't even be able to go down the other principles if you can't you know, get those first two correctly. Yeah, I but, don't. Uh, uh, do they have do they even have the personal right to to own and bear arms? It is uh, in their day, know. but it's it's worded very acutely. Oh, OK. Special language, huh? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then of course, in their platform, they support Roe v. Wade and they support uh you know what the, what they call a, a a woman's woman's rights, but obviously no no rights for the uh, unborn child. Um, and and then you mentioned something about equal and uh, enforcement of law. Yes. And you know I'm kind of digressing into to the future, but uh, you know in my opinion, uh, for that to actually happen now, we see a lot of city councilmen and mayors uh, not really doing their jobs overstepping their boundaries and it's one of the few places in arkansas where you find nonpartisan races and that's where i say that's where the democrats go to hide they either go to hide in nonpartisan races or they pretend that they're republicans mm-hmm. and so one of the things that i think should be done and i hear people talking about it is to make municipal municipal races partisan and i think that will weed out uh, some of the uh, liberals that have gone there to hide well, let me ask you guys this. How do we weed out the Democrats uh, who decide that they understand that the only way they can win a race now is if they're a Republican and they suddenly want to run as a Republican but do not adhere to our principles? What do we do sure, about well, I, that? I think, yeah, I think Ken uh, in Saline County might speak to a little bit of this closer to him, but we have had candidates who have you know, worked for Democrats that were United States senators at one time and have a you know track record um, of working for Democrats. And that has a way of percolating out there. And when people are dissatisfied, um, you know, you look at an incumbent like Senator John Cooper in Jonesboro. Um, so I think those points that you made, when those become aware, we've seen the electorate um, go, go after those individuals. And for instance, that House race uh, in Saline County, uh, the individual who had worked uh, for, I believe it was Mark Pryor, uh, did not come out uh, victorious in that primary. And yeah, she, in fact, right, are, yeah, she was in a commercial that attacked uh, Asa Hutchinson. Correct, for Mike Ross as well. That's right. And so that's one thing we did here at the state party long before I was here was Chairman Webb sent out a letter to all of the county officials 
um, across the state and all 75 counties that were Democrats. So a Democrat county judge, a Democrat sheriff. And in the letter, sort of as we were talking about this morning, laid out, here's what our principles are and here's what we believe. We know for many years, Arkansas was the good old boy Democratic state that it was. And so a lot of these county officials are very conservative. They are pro-life. They believe in, in limited government. They were just a Democrat because their dad was a Democrat and their grandpa was a Democrat. And so the letter said, here is what we believe. And if you believe that, the Republican Party does have its arms open wide for you if this is a platform that you agreed with. And some individuals did take that up and decided to switch party. Uh, I, I came across an envelope in the office the other day of the shall we say, denied letters, people that had some feelings to, that <laughs> sent those back to us uh, from that letter. Uh, but I think by and large, it's up to the voters. And I think we've seen in the past year, I mean, uh, we can name two examples uh, of where the voters have made that decision that one candidate was not as in line with the party as the other candidate. All right. So, Ken, how do you yeah. how do how would you go about uh fixing this up where we uh, as a party you bring forth a resolution the next time the convention is held saying that we uh, support uh, you know elections that make you say whether you're a Republican or a Democrat no I actually think it's probably a little less uh, a black and white than that uh, you know, Republicans haven't been in charge for that many years. And, you know, I've I've done national politics. I've been to multiple other states where Republicans have been in charge for some time. And we we still uh, lack the ability to play big boy politics, to, to be adults. You know, uh, we still have our feelings hurt in primaries. And uh, what we need to understand is primaries are, are good for our party. Uh, people are going to say things. And people need to stop being so offended all the time. And then when it's all over, we need to support uh, uh, support the support the nominee because, as you and I both agree, the Republican is always better than the Democrat. Always. And always. And so, and I so I think that's where it starts is in is in the local community, local county uh, party chapters. Is yes, like Seth said, open arms. Everyone can come in. Uh, because we don't want to punish people for changing their minds or for waking up and, uh, and realizing that they're Republicans. But at the same time, I tell people all the time, you can't have people come in and say, hey, you've never seen me before. I used to be a Democrat, but I've changed my mind. Guess what? I want to be your state rep or state senator. No, that just doesn't make sense. You, you should be able to come into our party. They're probably not run for something uh, right away. And, you know, especially those that, as uh, Seth alluded to in Saline County, if you worked for a Democrat, and if you're, and, and then if you're caught upon it, you keep saying, well, I'm a lifelong conservative. Well, I don't know many lifelong conservatives that have appeared in commercials for Mike Ross and <laughs> worked for Mike, Mark Pryor. Um, and, and so, you know, but, you know, and, but we want to have open arms and say, well, you know, hopefully, People like that uh, work hard for the party, show that they are truly conservative. That's something that, uh, you know, our, our friend, late friend Linda Collins did. Yes. Uh, who, who was a Democrat and changed to Republican and one of the more, most conservative Republicans that we've seen. And so I think it starts at the local level where people 
get involved in their primaries, not get hurt over what's going to happen, because that's where uh, the bulk of our races are. That's where you're going to change our elected officials is in the primary now, not in the general, because uh, Democrats know they don't, you know, they don't have a chance in the majority of the areas for general elections. All right, guys, take a break. Have a sip of coffee. I'll be back with you. Let's get our first break in, 21 minutes after 6. It's Seth Mays. It is Ken Yang. They've joined me here on the Dave Ellswick Show for this hour on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, the way the show will work today, Seth and uh, Ken will be with us during the first hour. Ken will continue with us in the second hour. We'll be talking uh, with him and probably we'll be talking a lot more national politics with him while I've got Seth and and Ken both on and they're very involved in local politics. Uh, We'll talk to them about local stuff and about the GOP here uh, in the state. And then in our final hour, uh, at 8 o'clock that you'll hear at 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, Karen, uh, Karen Kerrigan is going to be with us from the uh, Small Business Entrepreneurial Council, and she's going to talk about Arkansas in particular about broadband and where that's at. And with that said, let me bring that up. You know, we pulled out the segment uh, out of our platform. We had like a... a part of a paragraph that talked about how we needed to get our our kids more computer savvy uh is it time to uh, of course it won't be in this version of the uh of the uh uh, of the of the platform but in the next version of the platform uh do you think that broadband needs to be kicked into that seth what do you think about that and what do you think about that too ken yeah, I, I think it does. I know, uh, I'm sure you've had on somebody like probably Senator Missy Irvin or Brianne Davis, somebody from the Republican Women's Caucus um, here in the General Assembly, and that was one of their big initiatives uh, in the last couple of years had been broadband, and I know it's something that uh, the CARES Act Steering Committee, of course, has looked at in light of the recent pandemic, so uh, it would not be surprising to me at all if broadband isn't something that's included in the in future edition of the platform and uh, you know just might be as you bring it up a little surprising now but ultimately sort of as you alluded to there are so many issues quote unquote of the day uh, but broadband seems to be a a recurring issue so it it would not surprise me personally to see that in the future how about you ken you you see that becoming an issue for the party itself uh, yeah, I think so. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, something will happen this next uh, uh, this next General Assembly. I saw Representative Stephen Meeks, you know, posted something yesterday about uh, a possible release of a shared plan that he had talked to Speaker Shepard with about broadband expansion in the state. Now, I know Representative Meeks uh, has been passionate about that since he, he entered the legislature, too. And so... Um, you know, hopefully there'll be a uh, um, a plan really soon, and hopefully it'll happen uh, this uh, this next session. And and you know, we won't even have to discuss it on the platform because you know it's something that I think everyone can get behind. Um, yeah, I, it's a real, real real simple. I sent Stephen a text. I haven't heard back from him because I wanted him to. Uh, uh, be on during the time uh, Karen Carrington was on to talk about this because he has been 
the guy at the at the tip of the spear about this. He's been working hard on this. Had him on during the last uh, general session. He was really working hard on it. Got a, got a few things done. I think he'll finally break through. Uh, this uh, this coming general session in January. Hold on, guys. We got to take a break. We got the news, and then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about open and closed primaries and find out where you stand on that. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, we got a lot to talk about. By the way, Rasmussen says that the uh, election is only a two point split right now. We'll talk about that as well. We continue with the second part of our uh, first hour with Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP, and then, of course, with uh, Ken Yang, who is a, uh, a, a local uh, political guy. And by the way, here's what's really cool about having these guys on. Now, Ken, how old are you? Oh, man, I'm 31. Okay, how old are you, Seth? I'm 24. This makes me happy. I mean, I got a big smile <laughs> on my face right now. This makes me feel uh, safe that... Because my, my time of, of trying to impress people upon the truth and stuff will come to an end over the next three years, I'm sure. And uh, by the time I'm 70, because there is a time in my life that I want to go and, and do things that are not politically, uh, you know, astute, so to speak. So, I, you know, I'm going to move on and, and, and do my own thing. But uh, I'm really proud of both of you. Both, I've, you know, Seth, I've known you since you really got involved in politics, so to speak. And Ken, I've known yep. you since you basically got involved in politics. And both of you have not in any way, shape or form uh, disappointed me, except Ken, when you got behind Kasich. <laughs> who, who is that? <laughs> Who's that? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Dave. Okay. Yeah. I would. I would deny that too. Uh, by the <laughs> way, for for everybody who's listening right now, hey, I got that skeleton in my closet from when I was 18. When I I was the I was one of those first 18 year olds that got the vote, and I voted for McGovern because I couldn't vote for Nixon. And uh, mm. to this day, I hate to even tell that story because we all, hey, McGovern uh, it, would have fit right in with, uh, you know, AOC and the, that crew for sure. But mm-hmm. um, let me give you one one last piece of information. Last night, uh, nobody won the Powerball. So on uh, Friday night, Mega Millions is worth $99.9 million dollars. Uh, in the uh, if you get get all the money in one felled swoop, and the Powerball is worth ninety four point nine million. If you get all the money in one felled swoop, take that number and divide it in about fifty percent for taxes. It's a little bit less than that, but it'll tell you about what you'll walk away with tax free if you would win the whole kit and caboodle. But anyway, that's. That's where it's at right now. All right, let's come back and talk about something that, depending on who you bring this up to, you either get, yeah, I like that, Dave, or you get, well, are you out of your mind? Uh, I would like to see uh, the Republican Party push for closed primaries here in the state because we're at that point now that I think we we need to consolidate and make sure that the people that are making the decisions are true adherents, for better word, uh, to our our platform. So I'll ask uh, each one of you to give. Now, this is everybody's personal opinion. Their opinions do not reflect 
for their jobs or anything like that. Uh, it is their opinion and their opinion alone. So where do you stand on uh, open or closed primary, Ken? you believe in open or do you would you like to see closed? Uh, I, I like to see closed. Um, I, I've seen, I've been in states where they've been open. Uh, they got what they call semi-closed primary, uh, closed, and then, of course, jungle primaries, the ranked rank choice uh, that we'll talk about later. Um, you know, I, I see there being a large-scale issues of making sure that uh, people choose what party uh, they're part of. Uh, down the line, if we change it to close, that's that's the one logistical thing that I that I see as a as a problem, uh, just because we've been because you don't have to declare a party with open primaries, uh, but yes, I, I think we need to prevent uh, liberals and Democrats from voting in Republican primaries. All right, what about you, Seth? Well, you're right. This is my personal opinion and not the opinion of. My employer, you noted, of course, that Doyle, as chairman, has been a supporter of open primaries as they, as we talked about earlier, somebody like Linda Collins-Smith, who, though identifying as a Democrat, I think everybody would consider a very clear, rock-solid conservative, uh, was welcomed into the party as such. My problem with switching to closed primaries is, given my experience here at the party, is some of, the, some of the most phone calls we get around the time of a primary is, hey, I'm a Democrat. I want to vote for Trump. I'm a conservative. I just that's what I registered as when I was young. You know, somebody in their 40s or 50s. Um, and of course, we walk through the steps to re-register. Uh, but that's asking somebody who is already contemplating voting to go ahead and take another action. And a lot of times politics is in the periphery to folks and they want to be concerned about what's you know, going on in their kids' lives and tune out some of the, just the national media on that stuff. So I myself did not register as a Republican when I registered to vote. And as you pointed, Dave, I mean, you've known me for as long as I've been involved in politics. I interned with Lieutenant Governor Griffin, with the state GOP, uh, with a number of Republican-affiliated groups here. I've worked for a Republican governor's reelection campaign, Asa Hutchinson, I worked at the Republican National Committee for a year, where I still worked with Dave Ellswick on radio. Um, and then I'm back here at the Arkansas GOP. And so for a 24-year-old, I feel like I've got as much Republican credentials as anybody else. But I still registered as optional when I was younger because it was my opinion the state didn't have a need or a right to know who I chose to identify with. That was a very libertarian streak in at me and 18 years old. So. It will take a major re-education effort. Most people in Arkansas still choose that optional button. When we look at big data analytics on the RNC's data page, it really throws off what voters in our system are identified as lean Republican because we have such a history as, as late as 2010 with Mike Beebe and a bunch of people voting for Democrats. I mean, Mike Beebe won 75 out of 75 counties, a feat that I don't know will be duplicated by somebody of either party in my lifetime. We'll see. We'll certainly work to make that not true. Um, but that, that is the facts. As recently as 2010, many people were still voting for Democrats. They voted for Bill Clinton for president or, or George McGovern, in your case, in that one instance, Dave. So a lot of people's calculated voter scores are so skewed as Democrats. But if you look here recently, they voted for McCain. They voted for Romney. They voted for Trump now twice. 
Um, they voted in for Republicans at the state legislative level to flip us the majority. Um, but they're still just registered as good old boy Democrats, because when they were 18 back in the day, that's what everybody was. I'm reminded of what Chip Welch said running for Supreme Court. He ran in the state legislature as a Democrat, quote, because that's what everybody was doing. Yeah. But, you know, it's a poor, poor answer we can get into on a lot of fronts, but it will take such a re-education effort um, on our part to have people. Essentially, we need to re-register the state because so many people are not registered with either party. So I completely understand the arguments you and Ken uh, laid out um, for our closed primaries, and those are good, valid points. There's nothing against those points. Uh, my point is just, I, hey, I at one time was optional, uh, but because I pay attention to politics, when I did an address change, I went ahead and changed my registration because why not? It's not like I'm confusing anybody. You know, anybody who takes a look would get the picture. So uh, that that was a lot uh, to throw out there, uh, but that's sort of the shortest I could make the point. All right. Well, that's good. You did good with, uh, with what you're talking about right there. Since we're talking about primaries, I got – Two minutes here before I want to get to my next break. Let me ask for you, uh, Seth, to talk about a big decision was made yesterday uh, dealing yes. with the uh, initiated act that would uh, change our primaries in the state of Arkansas into almost jungle primaries. Yep. So Jr. and I had talked about last Thursday in the 6 a.m. hour the initiative uh, to what they call open primaries that really is facading as a jungle primary. So uh, there is no no necessary parties in the primary. Dave, you could say you're the pizza party. And, just, and so it takes the parties out of uh, any position in elections. And then the top four vote receivers from that primary move on to the general election where you rank one, two, three, four, your preferences, and then they reapportion if number four uh, you know, nobody receives a majority. They take number four and reassign those votes. And so it could clearly be in violation of the Civil Rights Act, one man, one vote, that a plurality is enough to win. But what the state elections board did yesterday was look at that language and decide that calling it open primaries, which we have, as we just had a discussion on, calling that the initiative while it's asking in the text of the body for jungle primaries and ranked primaries is clearly misleading. Um, and so they voted five to one to decertify that uh, yesterday. Doesn't mean it's over. Um, it's still yet to be seen where they fell on the signatures required. But ultimately, this is all going to the Supreme Court. But that'd be the latest development. Well, it would be interesting that uh, I've heard through the grapevine uh, from the SOS, the Secretary of State, that uh, they didn't get enough signatures. And uh, if that's the case, it seems to me uh, their route becomes a whole lot more difficult. Sure. You know, because the, uh, the only way that they can uh, challenge that is to say that they didn't, you know, count certain votes as being worthy of being counted. I mean, it's it's pretty strict, I'll be honest about it. So we'll see what happens. It, that should be decided here in the next few weeks. Just to let you know, when it comes to initiated acts, we can get within days of the general election before, for instance, if it goes before the Supreme Court, before they make a decision. I mean, we've, we've voted on initiated acts before uh, that... Uh, you know, were, uh, you know, found 
you know, with the the votes that came in gen- in the general election that they would have passed, but the Supreme Court said that the votes wouldn't be counted because of some uh, technicality dealing with uh, the initiated act. So, yeah, it ain't over until the fat lady sings. I guess I can say that, or will I get... Will the, will the cancel culture come after me because of that? <laughs> uh, we'll talk about more when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. My guest, Ken Yang, is with us. He's a very active Republican in Saline County and across central Arkansas. He works with a lot of different uh, uh, politicians. In fact, uh, you were, were you not working with one of the politicians down there that was running against a lady that... Uh, said that she was a Republican but had done all the work yeah. for Democrats? Yeah. I mean, I, as many people know, I, I have my own consulting firm, American Dream Strategies, and uh, Tony Furman was my client in Saline County, and and he, he won in the primary against the lady who I hope I hope she'll stay involved in Republican politics if she means well. Uh, but, you know, she, she uh, worked for Senator Pryor, uh, appeared in a commercial funded by Mike Bloomberg uh, against uh, Governor Hutchinson when gov- the governor was running against Mike Ross. And, uh, you know, and so we we let, let the people know that that was, a, that was uh, an issue, and they decided to vote for uh, Tony Furman, who's been a, a lifelong conservative. And he did good. He <laughs> He did really good. Everybody thought that was going to be one of those that was disguised uh, skin of your teeth. No, was it a, was 60, 61-39. Yeah, so. it was big. It was a big win. <laughs> it really was. Congratulations, a big feather in your cap for the way you ran that campaign. Let's take a break. We got uh, some uh, business to do so we can pay off some bills. When we come back, we'll talk more about the party platform, the uh, Republican Party of Arkansas Platform 2020, right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Boy, it's gone fast this first hour. We're down to seven minutes remaining here in the six o'clock hour. Hope you've been enjoying the conversation with Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP and from Ken Yang. A, I'm just going to call you a, a conservative activist Republican. Ken, is that is that cover it pretty well? Sounds good. Okay, sounds good. All right, then uh, I can do that with you. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about one of the uh, uh, things that didn't pass, resolutions that didn't pass last Saturday, and that was the Age of Majority uh, Act uh, that was out there. Let me, that was number five that was voted on. Resolution number five, supporting equal rights for citizens of the age of majority. And uh, it says, whereas the United States government entrusts citizens 18 years of age and older to vote in elections, give their lives in service to a great nation, sign legally binding contracts, own property, give medical and sexual consent, be named in lawsuits, enter into marriage, drive without restrictions, and participate in jury duty. Those same citizens are due all the rights of adulthood without infringement. And then just to add in what's there is uh, at age 18. This failed. Now, I'm going to tell you, I thought it was there was some really good there's some really good uh, discussion about this. I did think that I was at a temperance, move, a temperance movement for a while there. Uh, it, it was just kind of zeroing around, should an 18-year-old be able to vote? And there's a whole lot more things there to be talked about than just drinking. But uh, it failed. And uh, 
I think if they had counted the votes, we just had people stand up, and you could see that the eyes uh, to, to defeat it had the, the majority. Uh, it would have been probably, what, 55, uh, 45, something like that, guys. So they had some – they had – they had a lot of people behind this. Was there something that the people who wanted this put into the platform, this resolution included in the platform, should have done or shouldn't have done to get the necessary votes to make sure that it passed? And with that, I'll start with Ken. I'll take Seth off the fire for a moment and put Ken <laughs> on the front burner. Go ahead, Seth. Give me the hard Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, uh, one of the worst things you could do when you go out there is give a 18-year-old a beer. And I think you're going to lose a lot of uh, the, the older generation if that's your beginning line. And I, I think if, if, you know, if the people that are behind this want this to pass, it can't really be about letting an 18-year-old who serves in the military, letting them have a beer. Um, because I think one of the best points someone made was that, you know, there are restrictions all over the place uh, here in the states. You know, certain you have to be a certain age to be a state rep or state senator, a certain age to be governor, obviously a certain age to be president of the United States. And so th- those are uh, there, there for a reason. And so we have to find a better way of getting young people involved and just saying that, hey, we love y'all and y'all should be able to do whatever you want is not the way to get young people involved because there's a lot of uh, young people that do really well, like uh, myself, like Seth and others. And there's a lot of young people out there in their 20s that are still trying to figure things out. Hey, there's a lot of adults in their 70s that are still trying to figure it out. (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, I mean, so I think that that's where their 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 biggest biggest mistakes was, and and I think it requires a longer conversation than just let's do a resolution. But maybe this will show them where the party's at, and they can ha- start having some good conversations with some of the party leaders to maybe change their mind in the future. But I, I don't I don't believe personally this is something. This is a Republican Party type platform or issue or principle uh but i know what they're i feel like i know what they're trying to do so all right with, with that said let me let me uh get to seth you got the final say on this seth you know the, the chairman made a statement when he talked to me after the convention that not everything needs to be in the platform and i agree with him on that and i think this is yep. one of those things yeah, you're right. I mean, if you included every every worry of everybody, I mean, the thing would just be too long. We'd have to go from the pocket platform to like the box set edition of the platform if we wanted to include <laughs> everybody's worries. So Truth. we ultimately just can't get everything in there. You mentioned, Dave, when I was on the air with you, if we were in the time of the draft, something like this may be more compelling. But I think it was pretty clear. You know that 60% of the room, certainly just more than half, just by giving it the old look, uh, weren't in support um, of this. So, you know, it it could have been a longer conversation, but I think it was pretty clear uh, where the people were. And, in fact, they were ready to vote um, after a half dozen or so speakers. So, uh, once again, 
Dr. Chairman said, you can't, you just can't include everything. Uh, All but right. we did pass the other six resolutions. Seth, I got to let you go. Ken, you stick around. You're up in the next hour with me by yourself on the Dave Ellswick Show. Continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. My thanks to Seth Mays for joining us in the first hour uh, from the Arkansas GOP. Now it's just me and Ken Yang. Uh, Ken, uh, an, an article out by the Cato Institute, which is a libertarian uh, institute, uh, says this. Strong liberals stand out as the only political group who feel they can express themselves. Nearly 6 in 10 or 58 percent of staunch liberals feel they can say what they believe. However, centrist liberals feel totally different. A slim majority, only 52 percent of liberals, feel they have to self-censor, as do 64 percent of moderates and 77 percent of conservatives. This demonstrates that political expression is an issue that divides the Democratic coalition between centrist Democrats and their flanks. So what has changed? Let me read what Cato says. In 2017, most centrist liberals felt confident, 54%, they could express their views. However, today, slightly less than half, only 48%, feel the same. To share who feel they cannot be open increased seven points from 45 to 52 percent. In fact, there have been shifts across the board where more people among all political groups feel they are walking on eggshells. With that said, can you believe any of the polls that are out in the news now that had been showing Biden at one point with a 13-point lead on uh, Trump. And I think what this shows you is conservatives are not going to share their true feelings and uh, true centrist liberals or moderates, basically, uh, feel they can't share their feelings also, which tells me polling has got to be skewed all over the place. What do you think? Uh, I think so. You know, I think, uh, um, uh, you know, even someone like John Gilmore, who does fantastic polling, will say that, uh, you know, pollers usually typically try to skew their data in a way anyways. And so you really have to do a good job of looking at all the polling, which which polling data you're looking at. And, and it can't be, oh, well, I don't like that poll. So remember when that poll was wrong, you know, yeah. you can't. You can choose. I hear that all the time. Well, you know, they had uh, Hillary Clinton winning. Well, no, they had Hillary Clinton winning nationally. But it, but if you looked at the state polls, uh, that's where, you know, it, it really mattered. And so, you know, I do believe there's this growing culture of keeping things to yourself. And so I think sometimes people are still more comfortable talking to a pollster because they probably know that it's not going to go anywhere. 
versus expressing their political views openly. Yeah, I I look at what's happening in our country, and I cannot look overall America over its history has been a center right country. Uh, It has skewed left in a few instances uh, because of the historic nature of Obama's uh, first term. Uh, the uh, the electorate went with Obama, the first black president, etc., and a lot of people were able to ride, ride his coattails. In the second election, which was not as strong as the first election, people felt that uh, he still had their best interest in mind, but that changed just about halfway through his term. Now, when we sit and look at what uh, Trump gets attacked on. He gets attacked on COVID-19. And I th- I think if you look at the things that he has done, I think that he has done as well as any other president that has faced a crisis of this magnitude. And uh, number two, when you look at things like law and order, which is, has traditionally been always important to the American people, uh, there's no doubt that Trump... Uh, is doing what uh, the, uh, the the normal American would want done in in these cities and things as, of that nature. He's been very pro-life. He's been pr- very pro-religious freedom. I just think uh, he's he's going to fall into winning this election. What do you think? Uh, I, I <laughs> you know, uh, I just I think it's so still so far out. I know it's kind of close. We're less than, what, three months away or something, somewhere in that long. And so um, I think this next stimulus debate will 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 say a lot to the American people. It's a double-edged sword um, because uh, historically um, when the economy is bad, uh, presidents don't get reelected. And so there's that that to look at. And so I think uh, incumbents are hard to beat. Uh, I think you mentioned the Rasmussen poll, and and the poll mentioned something. This is exactly where uh, Obama's polling data was at when Obama got reelected. Yeah, by Um, the way, I I sent you that as an email. Yes, yes, that's all it. And so, um, and then, you know, Biden keeps stepping in it, uh, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, and then if Biden shows up to the debate, I think Trump will wipe the floor with him, and that will help even more. So I think the blueprint is there for Trump to get reelected. It's just a matter of uh, us dealing with whatever the Democrats and the liberals tried to throw at us next, because, you know, they're throwing everything in the kitchen sink uh, uh, during all this time, whether it's uh, Corona or whether it's uh, uh, Russia. Um, impeachment, all this stuff. I mean, they're they're just doing anything, and they'll and we know, we know for a fact they will lie. They will lie to the American people, and they're okay with it just to defeat President Trump. Yeah, they've they've basically said that, have they not? Yes. Yeah, I'll say and, whatever I gotta say. Yep. Yep. So I think Trump can can win, and it just all depends. And as long as the uh, uh, 
we keep uh, trotting, they keep trotting uh, Joe Biden out there, I think it'll be good for us. Yeah, let, let's read the very beginning of an article uh, that was written by uh, Paul Bedard, and he's talking about this poll by Rasmussen. He says, while the media have been hyping polls showing Democrat Joe Biden with a sizable and growing lead over President Trump, the outfit that called the 2016 popular vote correctly shows the 2020 race neck and neck. A week after finding that Trump closed a 10-point gap with Biden to just three points, Rasmussen reports today uh, revealed that Trump has edged up another point as Biden seems to have hit a ceiling. Uh, On Wednesday, the race stood at 45 for Trump, 47 percent for Biden. Well within the poll's margin of error, it was published in Rasmussen's weekly White House Watch feature. Separately, Rasmussen said that Trump has boasted or pardon me, boosted his approval rating to 49 percent with 50 percent of respondents disapproving. And what's more, at this stage of his presidency, and you mentioned this, former President Barack Obama also had a 49 percent approval and went on to win re-election with 51 percent of the vote. Again, I I just want to go back and and talk about the major issues that are out there. Yes, the economy's out there. Wall Street is doing well. It's up again today. Uh, Companies are doing well. Uh, I think the next uh, couple of months of reports of new jobs and things of that nature uh, is going to go up. But America is going to have to decide, are we all in for reopening Or are we all out for keeping everything shut down? And I'm going to be honest here. I'm going to say what I believe, as I always have. I think the people who want to stay shut down are Democrats and and liberals and leftists and because they see it as a way to hurt Trump. Do you think I'm right or do you think I'm wrong there, Ken? I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. I've yet to hear from... uh, any any conservative that uh, wants to shut down the economy, shut down small business, and have the government reach and tell them what to do or how to how to take care of themselves. Uh, it's typically liberals that do that, and uh, um, and then liberals will try to play the bad violin and tell you that oh well you don't care about the people dying or you don't care oh, yeah. about you know those folks and stuff like that because they can't they can't win on facts. They can't win on science anymore. They can't win when it comes to facts. So that all they can do is just, you know, play up some type of ism uh, or some type of, uh, you know, uh, bigotry. And uh, and so I, I think you're spot on in your assessment of who wants to keep the country closed. Yeah. And, and because of that, and I, I do believe that before it's all said and done, uh, a lot of people in the electorate are going to feel, uh, find this out, that regaining power is more important to the Democrats than helping the country. And uh, if people can't see that, I think they're blind personally. But uh, that, that's something that uh, uh, the people are going to have to come to grips with here over the next uh, few uh, uh, months. And I think that they, they will do that. All right, we got to get our break in. Let's do that, and then we'll come back and talk further. Ken Yang's my guest. He is a conservative uh, Republican activist here 
uh, in the state. He also uh, helps other candidates. He's got his own uh, uh, business that works with candidates. And uh, his big win was uh, down in uh, in Saline County over the last uh, uh, cycle dealing with the primaries. And uh, your care, your uh, uh, your candidate named, uh, give us his name again. Tony Furman. T- Tony Furman. I knew the last name. It was the first name. I got. I had a friend by the name of Furman I played basketball with, and I, I knew it, it wasn't uh, that name. So, okay, so he won. And, in fact, going into that race, uh, I would say the betting odds were for the lady that was down there. And I kept saying if they vote the way this lady had run her uh, her life and who she had supported uh you know she was not going to win and she did not uh, so my hats off to the uh, saline county voters let's take a, a break here come back we'll talk further hey guess who i got coming out of my house today i've got pi roofing that's right randy from pi roofing is going to i get off at just about nine o'clock and randy from pi roofing is uh, going to be here because Yesterday, we had uh, some of those early morning showers, and after the shower, uh, my wife uh, pointed up in the bedroom and said, that looks like it's wet. And there was some discoloration, and she got up and felt it and said, yeah, it's damp. And I said, well, it's that same area that we had problems with a few years ago uh, where DirecTV had put a... uh, uh, an antenna up to get the local stations in high definition. They took it out, and it leaked there because it didn't fill uh, the uh, the holes correctly. So PI Roofing came out then and and refilled. And now I want I'm I'm afraid that something has happened in that area again. So what do you do when that happens? You call the professionals. And I tell you to call PI Roofing all the time at seven zero seven thirty five fifty one. That's exactly what I do. And I called and talked to them. Uh, They called me back a couple hours later and said Randy would be here at 930 this morning because I I knew that there was some chance of some heavy uh, rain this late this afternoon. And I don't think it's going to be a major job to fix what needs to be fixed. So Randy, come out, take a look at it and uh, make the necessary uh, fixes for us. Now, I didn't have to go see anybody, didn't have to get face-to-face with anybody. Don't feel like I'll be getting face-to-face with Randy today. He'll just get up on my roof, go over, look at it, tell me what has to be done, and then get it done. And that's why you should go with PI Roofing. They do the job, and they do it right. You can call them at 707-3551, or you can reach them online at piroofing.com. Joel and Veronica... Uh, Johnson, who own PI Roofing, are fantastic people. They're people of faith, and their faith guides them in their business dealings. So keep them in mind. That's PI Roofing, because I do. When I have to have something done to roof, PI Roofing does it at my house. 707-3551 or piroofing.com. All right, so uh, let's go back to Paul Bedard just for a moment. I'm bringing that article up because there's some interesting things uh, that he points out. Uh, He talks about what's been going on as they've been watching the polling. On uh, Wednesday, the race stood at 45 to 47, Biden Biden leading by 2%. That's well within the poll's margin of error. 
and it was pun- punished, uh, published under White House Watch. Separately, Rasmussen said that Trump has uh, boosted his approval rating to 49%. That's up from 38% just two weeks ago. And I've got to thank Ken that his strong uh, words coming out dealing with getting the crime under control in the major cities of America is starting to resonate with the uh, American voter. What say you? I agree. I mean, I think uh, the media doesn't really want to report it, but uh, many uh, 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 law enforcement unions, police unions, firefighter unions, uh, uh, sheriffs that typically endorse uh, Democrats and endorse the Democrat presidential candidate uh, have endorsed Trump. Uh, and because they don't want someone that wants to uh, defund uh, the uh, police. And people can, oh, he didn't say that. They, they can say it however form you want. You know, oh, defund doesn't really mean that. And I, I ask people all the time, Dave, when I say defund Planned Parenthood, you know exactly what I mean. Yeah. Uh, and so don't tell me when you say defund the police that you mean something different. Um, and so I think people see that and people see that Trump's uh, big on law and order. And most importantly, I think Trump tweeted about it yesterday. Trump is big on protecting Americans. Yes. Uh, and, and, and that's really important to, to the voters. The other thing that uh, Rasmussen looks at constantly is voter enthusiasm. He said there is good news uh, for Biden in that 71 percent of Democrats are now enthusiastic about a Trump-Biden election. And I got to believe that's because all these national polls have been showing Biden has a great chance. He's up 10, 12, 14 percent over uh, uh, an incumbent president. That now, uh, with the uh, Democrats up to 71 percent, where they were in April at 57 percent, 75 percent of Republicans are excited by a choice between Trump and the former vice president uh, compared to 71 percent in the uh, earlier uh, uh, polls that that he had done. So a lot of uh, people have jumped on the Biden bandwagon, so to speak. And, uh, you know, let's uh, let's admit this is after he, uh, you know, ended up being the only Democrat that was running in the election uh, for, uh, you know, the uh, nomination. And so uh, the people are like shrugging their shoulders going, oh, well, got to vote for the Democrat because, look, there's still people out there vote Democrat no matter what. They can be hardcore Christian believers, but they'll vote for, for whatever reason, will vote for the uh, party that doesn't mention God in their platform and doesn't believe in life and is very clear about that in their platform. Uh, yeah. You know, it, I mean, that, that just still stuns me. It sure makes me want to say, check your belief system. Yeah. Well, I think as, uh, and I think what you also see is as uh, Trump number increases and Biden decreases, you know, at least polling numbers will ebb and flow. Uh, but as Biden may decrease a little bit, uh, you'll see that they'll use that opportunity to probably announce his vice presidential uh, uh, um, running mate because yeah. that always gives the the candidate a boost. And so they'll, they'll, they'll look at the polling and look at the timing and, and make sure that uh, if Biden's decreasing, that's when they'll announce. 
Uh, and I think, uh, you know, Demo- in my opinion, Democrats are enthusiastic probably because they've forgotten who their uh, uh, nominee is because he hasn't been trotted out but like twice since April. Yeah, and then when uh, you do trot him out, he says things like uh, Trump is the first racist president. Correct. Trump is the first racist president, or uh, or he even said yesterday that uh, um, people don't make a distinction, as you well know, from a South Korean and someone from Beijing. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 Asian. They're, they're, they make no distinction. It's Asian. And so you know, just think if President Trump were to say something like that. Oh my God. Uh, and so, um, you know, we, we call the, you know, I, I tend to just call it the COVID-19 or coronavirus, but I, I have no problem with people calling it the Wuhan virus because we call things uh, regional uh, viruses all the time. Uh, it's, it's no different than any other regional virus that we, we've uh, named. Okay, Ken, so, I, I got to jump in because we got Rush up and... You and I will live through the backlash. Here's Rush. All right, back. And Ken Yang is with us for another 25 minutes. We're glad to have him along uh, today. You'll be hearing more from Ken as we move closer and closer to Election Day. I value his opinion. And uh, hopefully here in the next uh, week or so, we'll be back in the studio. And uh, I got to see him last uh, Saturday. He was at the, uh, uh, of course, uh, convention for the uh, uh, Arkansas State Convention for the GOP and was able to talk to him for a few moments. But uh, he's in the know. He knows what's going on statewide and the races. So let's talk about uh, something that it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for the the vice president, although uh, the Washington Post, believe it or not, reported this story. It surprises me. Uh, During a town hall where Democrats weren't able to control his every word, uh, uh, former Vice President Biden called Trump America's first racist president. Biden is uh, saying that uh, if you owned a slave, used the N-word and all the other awful things past presidents have done, weren't racist at all. So with that in mind, let me just mention... A couple of uh, in the Democrat pantheon of of uh, presidents who, uh, you know, they uh, history looks at them as being uh, great, great Americans. Let's start with Woodrow Wilson, who showed a special screening of uh, the Griffin uh, movie. Not not our Tim Griffin. Uh, This is another guy, a filmmaker back in the 1900s. Uh, the Birth of a Nation, which had been named the Klansman when it first came out, and then they called it Birth of a Nation. And uh, it's one of the most racist movies that you'll ever see. You, you would think that the, the person who did the movie is the same person that did all the propaganda uh, movies for the Nazis. And and the other was that uh, Woodrow Wilson resegregated. All right. Yeah, he resegregated. They they had in in within government, you know, black workers were working alongside white workers and etc. Uh, in the government agencies, well, when he got in, he changed that all up, and it was um, white people 
uh, doing most of the work, to be honest. So you got that. Woodrow Wilson, that everybody uh, that's the left always likes to say, yeah, he was a great guy. He's a great progressive because, you know, he gave us the income tax and uh, yada, yada, yada. Another one is FDR. And you go, FDR was racist? Well, FDR put the Japanese in internment camps during World yep. War II. That's what he did. Uh, you've heard, I've had Dr. Terry Yamauchi on. His family was put into an internment camp. So uh, I can just tell you that, uh, yeah, both of those guys are not, uh, you know, pillars and bright spots uh, for the Democrats as far as not being racist. They were as racist as they came uh, in, in the time that they were alive. Amy Swear says, I seem to remember several presidents who owned slaves, a president who threw 100,000 American citizens into detention camps, as I just mentioned, a president who screened birth of a nation in the White House. Uh, one story reminds us Biden's suggestion that Trump is the first racist president contradicts numerous activists who have called for the removal of names and statues of past presidents because of their racist views. You know, you can't you can't have it every way because you're a Democrat, although they sure think that they can get away with saying anything anymore. Well, and they don't uh, they don't know history. They know snippets of history. If you were to ask them, uh, you know, name, you know, three things or name one thing that some of these people that they're asking them to be removed did for our country, they they can't they can't answer that because uh, uh, all they all they do is regurgitate what they hear uh, from their uh, from the media or from their liberal professors and so on and so forth. And even adding to that list, uh, you know, all this movement on Native Americans. I think Andrew Jackson was uh, historically responsible for the trail Trail of tears. Um, And so, you know, the list goes on and on. I think James Madison was the one that came up with the three-fifths compromise, Uh, uh, you know, counting enslaved people as only three-fifths of a a person to try to appease the South. Um, so, you know, but, uh, you know, do we expect anything more from, uh, someone who's clearly suffering from some cognitive, uh, uh, failings like Joe Biden? Um, and, uh, you know, it's sad that uh, this is who they're trotting out, uh, because he can't tell left from right. Well, you know, through his presidential campaign now, he's uh, proposing over $8 trillion in new spending. Let me repeat that to everybody. $8 trillion in new spending on a variety of programs, that ever-increasing tally that raises to around $10 trillion based on some estimates. The uh, price tag counts several of his most expensive plans. Let me run through some of them for you. $2 trillion on climate plan. Uh, $775 billion program for universal preschool and expanded child care and in-home elder care announced on uh, Tuesday. So, you know, I don't know if everybody remembers there used to be a, a, a parody song on Russia's show called From the Womb to the Tomb. And uh, he talked about 
this kind of stuff. I mean, look, the, the overall federal budget, the government spent $4.1 trillion in all of 2018, $4.45 trillion in 2019. That, according to the CBO, that's the Congressional Budget Office and the Office of Management and Budget. That number, however, is likely to be much higher for 2020 and 2021 due to the COVID-19 relief spending, which by itself has uh, alarmed fiscal hawks uh, on that. It it alarms me. I don't know if we really need uh, COVID-19 phase four or not. Uh, Trump has also faced criticism from budget watchdogs for his role in the soaring deficits, but his campaign warns that his Democratic opponent would only accelerate the spending. Let me just quote this. This is from uh, uh, Director Andrew Clark, uh, the Trump campaign rapid response director. Quote, as Biden's unaffordable left-wing agenda gets more expensive by the day, it's obvious why he plans to raise taxes on the middle class. In addition to being gut-punched by Biden's tax hikes, Americans will have to grapple with Biden's war on energy, which will cause higher gasoline and electricity prices while decimating millions of energy jobs. And he's exactly right about that. Look at their plan. It's stuff that even uh, Hillary uh, wanted to do, and now Biden wants to do it, and even bigger than Hillary wanted to do, it will drive up electric uh, rates. You want to pay a bigger electri- uh, electric bill a month? You'll do it under uh, under Joe Biden if he becomes president here in the state of Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, well, under, under under puppet Joe Biden. Yeah, uh, puppet. His, That's exactly right. Yeah. Where his campaign has been taken over by progressives and people uh, people that support AOCs and the squad's agenda, um, you know, people that want to um, do away with personal responsibility, uh, a cornerstone of, of the American dream of working hard and being able to be uh, successful. And, you know, this national debt is just absolutely um, ridiculous, to say the least. And, uh, you know, uh, Democrats uh, want to to spend, as Joe Biden uh, clearly stated in his uh, plan. But uh, Republicans need to do a better job of not wanting to spend because spending less is not okay in my book. Um, You know, we need to start saving and start cutting instead of spending. And, uh, you know, I'm with you. I don't know whether this one trillion dollar uh, uh, relief, coronavirus relief is really needed or not. Um, because that, you know, I, I never thought I'd see the day where Republicans would support a $1 trillion uh, um, bill that would put, you know, us even more in debt. Not just once, but now looking like twice. And uh, it's something to be careful about. Let's uh, take a break, uh, Ken. We'll be back to finish it up here in just a moment. $287,619. That's a lot of money. What could you do with an extra $287,619 in retirement? Well, that's how much a Little Rock couple could save in taxes with their thanks uh, thanks to the tax uh, 
planning strategy from David Lucas Financial right here in Little Rock. Learn exactly how much money you could save with a free retirement tax analysis. Uh, If you save more than $250,000, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis now at 501-222-3315. Do you have an IRA or 401k? I mean, some of you younger folks may not have that. You need to get into it, and uh, I would tell you get into a Roth 401k. Uh, Learn how much money in taxes you could save by calling out 501-222-3315. One more time, that's number for you, 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial, an Arkansas registered investment advisor. Ken's back with me to finish up the 7 o'clock hour. Karen Kerrigan is uh, waiting in the wings to join us at 8 o'clock to talk about broadband here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, uh, keep you in uh, updated. The uh, National Weather Service has issued a flash flood warning for you folks down in Garland, Yale, Perry, and Pope Counties uh, beginning at 827 and ending at 1157 uh, this morning. So uh, keep that in mind. And uh, so uh, 827 is when it's supposed to get under under uh, way. All right, so I wanted to bring that up to mean that there's some thunderstorms moving uh, around our area. Let me take a quick look at our color radar, and I'll I'll tell you for sure here as I bring it up. And, uh, yeah, to our east uh, or west right now and moving. Uh, go to the future radar and moving to the northeast. There's a large group of rain that's going to go over uh, our listening audience. Uh, Russellville's already getting it. It's moving in on Conway, Greenbrier, Cabot, Little Rock, Sheridan. It's in Malvern now. It's in Hot Springs now. And uh, there's embedded some strong uh, thunderstorms. So uh, it's just one small glob. And then after it gets by us, which should take about an hour, uh, it looks like we're going to be pretty dry uh, for the rest of the uh, the day. All right, so let me ask uh, Ken, uh, Ken Yang uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, was uh, for, for Furman, you're a candidate down there in Saline County. Does he have anybody challenging him in the general election? No, he is unopposed in the general election, so he's it. So he he is in. So he's a new face that uh, we can expect to see uh, in in January. Uh, I'll be in touch with you and we'll set him up to come on the show and to talk about some of the things that he's looking at in uh, in uh, January uh, for the general session. With that said, I've got a lady coming on at eight o'clock who works with the Small Business Entrepreneurial uh, Council. She's going to talk about broadband here in the state uh, of Arkansas. She wants to talk specifically about Arkansas and what we can do to help broadband. As we talked about in the six o'clock hour, Stephen Meeks has been working at this religiously for the last about two or three 
general sessions and is supposed to be bringing forth some uh, uh, legislation that uh, people here in Arkansas should like. I mean, he's he's working to to get everybody to put some skin in the game is what it's sounding like to me, Ken. And if you want to have good broadband across the state, that's what you're going to have to get because, you know, in some rural areas, it might be difficult to get broadband. Uh, but uh, he he believes that uh, Elon Musk has got some good ideas about these uh, low-flying uh, uh, satellites and things of that nature being able to bring in uh, uh, broadband. What's your thoughts? Uh, is it going to be an interesting uh, new session next year uh, for Arkansans as far as technology goes? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't I'm not really in tune to what the detractors will say. I'm sure cost will be a be a, a topic of conversation. But I think uh, as as we've dealt with the COVID COVID-19 coronavirus, um, we've seen the need for broadband. I think I think the one of the silver linings of this coronavirus pandemic is that we've seen that uh, rural areas need broadband I actually know of a. Uh, uh, of a family that lives up on top of a hill over there near Bologna, where way out in the country, and they didn't have uh, internet. And the the internet provider came, and and they were going to build a tower, but there was really nowhere to build a tower. So they put the thing on top of uh, the lady's house. They said, "Hey, if you let us put it on your house, because you because you because you live at, at the highest point in this area, because she lives on top of that hill." And we'll give you a free uh, internet. And so she took it. She gets free internet to this day and the little satellite tower thingies on top of her house. Fantastic. Um, and so I think you'll see creative ways like that, creative ways of like what you, uh, what uh, Meeks, uh, Representative Meeks alluded to with Elon Musk. And, and it's, it's much needed in rural communities, especially during this time where we need to make sure our children uh, – um, are are going to school. I'm with you. All right, we got just about three minutes left, and uh, p- people who are familiar with you know that you were close with the Linda Collins Smith family. You still are. Can you bring us up to date with the latest dealing uh, with what's going on when the trial might start about about her? Yes. Um, uh, last. Last month, uh, uh, the accused murderer, uh, Becky O'Donnell, um, their attorneys tried to get rid of the death penalty, and that was denied, uh, thankfully. And so death penalty is still on the table. Uh, they're supposed to be releasing more uh, evidence to the public as we get closer to the trial date. The trial is still anticipated to be in October. Uh, I can't remember the specific dates, but that's uh, it'll be in mid mid October. There'll be a, a, some more hearings before then, as as is a murder trial. So there's motions to suppress evidence, uh, motions to suppress whether it's photography, videos, and other things. That will be on August sixth and seventh. And so you know the attorneys are doing uh, the the attorneys for accused murderer Becky O'Donnell. Um, everything in their power to try to stop evidence from being shown during the uh, trial. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, the prosecutor attorney is doing a good job. 
and uh, representing uh, Senator uh, Collins. And it's a you know long process for the family. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, been I, a long slog thus far, and it'll continue to do so. I tell people even after the uh, 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 trial, though, even after the murder trial, it'll still be a long process for the family, and hmm. uh, they they it's been grueling for them. I often ask people to. Uh, continue to pray for them and continue to think about them because you know we we move on with our lives uh but they don't sometimes uh, uh linda's uh family her her father her daughter and son they don't really get to move on because this is something that's going to go on not only until the trial uh but depending on what happens at the trial uh as you saw with people getting uh the death penalty last week they were on death row for, you know, 20 plus years. Yep. Um, and so it's, it's an ongoing process, um, but more evidence will be uh, uh, put out soon. And there'll be more motions to try to dismiss, you know, all, all sorts of things. But uh, the judge denied the attorney's motion to dismiss the uh, capital murder charge and to dismiss the uh, death penalty. Uh, being on the table. All right. Well, thank you, Ken, for bringing us up to date on that. We'll have you back on in the near future. I'm going to let you go. News is coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Then I'll be back with Carrie Kerrigan. We're going to talk broadband in the state of Arkansas when we continue uh, on the Dave Ellswick Show at 6 p.m. Or you can watch it on Facebook and get all the live action right here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show on your Facebook.com site. Stay tuned. That's coming up next. Continue the Dave Ellswick Show. You're listening to the final hour that we record uh, to play back here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, uh, in the evening uh, for you. And if you're watching on Facebook, you're, see- you're going to hear it in real time. And if you happen to get on my podcast after 10 a.m., uh, you could be listening it. To, to any time between there and 6 p.m. Uh, our guest is Karen Kerrigan. She is with the uh, Small Business and Entrepreneur Council, and uh, she is very uh, intricately involved with broadband, and I got a lot of questions for you, uh, for hmm. her. As you know, we've been talking about it for quite some time. Uh, we have State Representative Stephen Meeks on uh, normally quarterly, if not just, uh, you know, every six months to talk about what's the new stuff that he's working at and working with. And, you know, it's so doggone expensive uh, for Arkansas because we have so many rural areas. It's really so much of a hodgepodge that he is getting people together to buy into this. And, and that's a big deal. In an urban area, Karen, uh, this can be done fairly uh, easily, and I, I 
you know, I'm hitting fairly pretty hard right now. But uh, when you get into rural areas uh, where you got to find all different methodologies of delivering this, this can be, become a, a real uh, labor of love to get it to happen. Mm-hmm. I'll have you bring us up to date. What, what do you have about Arkansas that my listeners should know about concerning broadband? We know we're at the bottom of the, of the pile, yeah. so to speak. Right, right. And, and, you know, you're absolutely right. In fact, you know, the, the high-density areas and the, you know, the urban areas, they're already moving to 5G, which is, you know, super, super, super fast Internet, 100 times faster than 4G. So, you know, the, the pandemic and what's happened with COVID-19, you know, the shutdowns and people having to, you know, work from home, shut their businesses, learn from home, really um, shed light, you know, on the digital divide. And the fact that, you know, sort of where we're operating right now uh, in terms of this, um, uh, the current environment, I think has accelerated um, a lot of things. One, you know, definitely the consensus um, on broadband and that we need to fully close the digital divide right now in order for, you know, all Americans to to be able to get telehealth, to learn, if you're a small business, in order to access, you know, broadband to operate, you know, use cloud services, operate virtually, mobily, what have you. So, um, yeah, so there is, it was good to see in Washington, bipartisan momentum behind this. Um, you know, we, the Data Act was passed um, recently, which essentially says the FCC has to update its maps so that we have more precise um, knowledge and understanding of where the gaps are, and that needs to be funded. Um, you know, in uh, in terms of these infrastructure packages that they're talking about in these phases to deal with the pandemic, you know, we possibly could be looking at a big, um, uh, a, a sizable amount dedicated to broadband. Uh, and then you have um, the FCC and Ajit Pai, the chairman, who is very, very dedicated to this issue. And um, there's a, a, an auction that will be coming up, the Rural Development uh, Opportunity Fund, um, in October, a reverse auction that is going to unleash money soon after that to bring broadband uh, to the masses. So, yeah, for Arkansas, I mean, this is critically important to the economy, the small businesses, the agriculture sector, manufacturing sector. And, um, and you know, yeah, so the silver lining, you know, as you say, of this pandemic is that, you know, this is an issue that they're moving on. I would say the other silver lining is Congress is also focusing on small business. Right. <laughs> Something near and dear to my heart, too. And these two issues work together, obviously. Yeah, you know, talking to Stephen over the years, and and it has been years, he, he saw this necess- necessity a long, long time ago uh, for Arkansas, and uh, he has just been working his bippy off to get it to come to fruition. I think that he's going to have some ideas coming up uh, here uh, next year in January when General Assembly gets together. But uh, it's going to be an expensive proposition. Now, I'm sure he would be the first to admit that the president has helped out. He sent money out to the different uh, uh, states uh, for integrating broadband but it was it was just seed money it's it's not big money yeah yeah you're right and 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 recently uh governor asa hutchinson he announced that the state is directing 
1.5 million of the CARES Act funding, you know, the, the one of the, um, you know, the bills, uh, the, the law that passed in terms of providing funding, that he's going to use that to expand broadband under the Arkansas Rural Connect Fund. But you're right, that last mile, I mean, this is very, very expensive. And that's why we're very, in terms of 5G, this next, next technology, we think um, if you're going to bring um, high-speed broadband to rural America, exurban America, to underserved America, it should be the best technology. It should be 5G. And, um, you know, 5G is really the, the, the most cost-efficient way, um, you know, to bring broadband using 5G to uh, use of taxpayer dollars to bring broadband Internet to the masses as well. And it's going to take a lot of collaboration of, you know, existing networks, long-haul networks, you know, perhaps 5G being the last mile, the most expensive mile. Right. Um, but that technology, I mean, the technology is there, but they, there's resources that are needed, you know, through a public-private partnership. Um, you know, and, and as I said, there is this auction that's going to be occurring uh, at, the, um, at the FCC, but there's more public investment that is needed. There is no doubt about it. All right. Well, let's talk about that auction. Why don't you walk our listeners through this? What is important for them to know about this auction that's coming up? Well, the um, the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, it, it will commence on October 29th, and it really will address the hardest-to-serve rural areas. And um, while there may not be the updated broadband broadband map available at that point in time, uh, the chairman and uh, his staff feel like they know, just they've known, you know, sort of what the hardest hit areas are in the country. So it will be awarded um, over a period of time to providers to offer fixed voice and broadband to um, unserved high cost areas um, of at least speeds of 25 millibits per second. That is sort of, that will bring you, give you the ability to, you know, stream online, do social uh, uh, networking, uh, surf the internet. And um, so that's, that's coming up. And, um, you know, that's an opportunity for the providers um, in Arkansas. And they, they have to be proven entities that have done this, you know, that have laid broadband or, or that provide broadband in order to compete for this. So, there's a, you know, there's a chunk of change right there. I do believe Congress is going to be coming up with additional funds as well. And I don't know how that works into this Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, whether it blends into it um, or, um, or it may be another fund that the FCC develops. But, but I, I do believe there's more infrastructure money coming, you know, and this is a good thing. And, it's, um, you know, it, and, and obviously your representative, both the senators and the House members, you know, are behind this and they're supporting these efforts as well. So let me just ask this. Something that has brought this, I think, to uh, a point that people understand it's very important for us to have this is all the kids being out of school and being told that they're going to have to do their lessons and stuff on the Internet. And here in Arkansas, we have kids driving 
miles to sit in the school's parking lot to be able to log on to a broadband site so that they can do their homework and do their studies. Uh, we got to get to the point where they can do this stuff at home. How is this? And I'm going to be honest, when I talk to teachers about this, no, let me change that. Not teachers, but when I talk to people that run the teachers' unions, they are not as happy about broadband learning as the, the, the normal uh, citizen out there. And there's reasons for that. Are they going to be throwing monkey wrenches in to screw up the works on this? You know, I, I just I don't see how they can, because, as you know, in many dis- school districts across the country, I'm not quite sure where Arkansas is right now on this, but, you know, in Fairfax County, where I live, they announced 100 percent online learning beginning in September. Uh-huh. So, you know, whether um, and there's going to that's going to be school districts. It's going to happen in, in many places throughout the country. OK, so it, it's going to happen. And they they they. And what, what's happening now is you're beginning to see, I was just reading an interesting article um, in the New York Times, believe it or not, this morning, on the, the rebirth of homeschooling and the interest and the big interest and how sort of pools of parents are coming together, uh, you know, to teach their kids at home using uh-huh. online learning and perhaps uh, a hybrid, you know, with the, with the public school system and being at home. So, um, you know what, it's, we have a situation where the teachers are going to have to get on board um, because this is going to be the only way to do it. But I will bring up this point, uh, Dave. In terms of the funding, you know, we have the Universal Service Fund, which funds, um, you know, access to broadband uh, in the schools uh, through the E-Ray program. We have the Lifeline program that is a subsidy for individuals, you know, to get uh, they can access this money to get broadband in their homes. It's interesting because the E-Way program, schools and libraries get that program. And I think now where members of Congress and, and policy leaders are, are beginning to think about this and saying, well, gee, given that kids have not been in schools and libraries in a long time now, you know, isn't there a short-term way or, well, that that money can, again, be directed, you know, to the kids or perhaps put into, you know, this infrastructure, you know, development that we need to get them the broadband that they need. So it's, uh, there's a lot of these six programs that are now being rethought um, because the kids are not at schools and are not at school and they're not in libraries. They're at home and they could be there for the long term. Um, you know, also at, at the collegiate level as well. So um, I think, you know, the teachers are going to have to get on board because, you know, this is going to be with us, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's like Bob Dylan said, the times they are changing. We will uh, carry on this uh, conversation as we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. Our guest, Karen Kerrigan, she is the head of the uh, Small Business and Entrepreneurial Council on broadband. It's a huge topic. We need to talk about it. I need to keep you up to date on it. And when we come back, I'm going to bring up uh, a name that you hear about cars, but is going to play a big part in broadband as well. Elon Musk will talk about that when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're talking about broadband here on the Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, we're talking with Ms. Kerrigan from the Small Business Entrepreneurial Council. She's head of the broadband segment of this. And uh, I wanted to talk about 
technology that is out there. You've heard it on my show before because I've had Stephen Meeks, State Representative Meeks, on many times talking about how we're going to get broadband across the state of Arkansas. And one of the things that he is really uh, excited about is that uh, he wants uh, satellite. And Elon Musk, uh, whether you love him or you hate him, he really he he he's kind of the 21st century Thomas Edison as far as I'm concerned. He thinks outside the box. And one of the things that he has thought outside the box about is how can you use low orbit satellites to be able to have internet and it's catching on, is it not uh, Karen? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, this has gone beyond theory because I, um, in other countries they've been testing with this um, and they've been utilizing it successfully. So, you know, again, it's with, you know, technology just moving very rapidly um, and um, uh, satellite technology, you know, again, working with um, the, um, you know, the 5G providers um, and all the other infrastructure that we currently have in place, you know, this can happen. We can bring this to rural America. The other um, piece, uh, Dave, is the, um, the FCC um, has approved the use of, um, I believe it's with limited use because they've been um, asked to do this, the TV white spaces, sort of the white spaces that the broadcasters have that they don't use, it's spectrum. Uh-huh. And this has been, there's been tests of these white spaces in rural America to bring broadband uh, to, um, you know, to individuals and to businesses, and that has worked on a limited basis. So there's a lot of things that are being used that we need to um, scale up. Let's just put it that way. Um, but it does take money, and, uh, and Dave, it, do, it does take a lot of, um, you know, sort of regulatory um, uh, 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 relief and convenience at the state and local level too, because if we're going to deliver 5G, you know, there's a lot of things that are that are uh, uh, a lot of red tape and bureaucracy uh, from the old way that we used to deliver <laughs> telephone service and broadband and all of that that needs to change so that we can um, so that we can bring uh, uh, high speed broadband and 5G uh, to Americans much more quickly. I mean, bureaucracy is getting in the way of many of these localities that can, all, that can do this, or some of the state and local governments, they want their pound of flesh. They want their money <laughs> yeah. before this happens. But, and they've got to understand that if you have great broadband, if you have 5G, the best technology, um, you know, that's, that's an economic driver, right? That gives you a, com- a competitive advantage to attract investment, business, et cetera. And that certainly is the case, you know, uh, one of the pieces in Arkansas that would really help the state. Well, I got to tell you, I'm, I, I love using uh, broadband. I have it at my house. I, I can upload, download quickly, and, and I love it. And, I, you know, I, as a talk show host, I use it to my, my best efficiency by perusing what people are saying about certain topics. And I can do that in probably 45 minutes where it took me hours to do it when I had to go through newspapers and magazines. So it's changed everything. But you are right. There's people that have been in politics and have camped out and made it into a profession instead of, you know, helping out uh, the, the consumer and the, and the citizen that are 
putting up roadblocks on a lot of this, and we got to get them out of the way. Any suggestions on your part how to do that? Well, you know, it's, again, the FCC and Chairman Pai has been leading the way, you know, in terms of um, uh, you know, regulatory reform and um, laying out standards, you know, for the states in terms of deploying 5G and modernizing, you know, the way that infrastructure has been done. And you know what? The states that are still gunking up the works are going to fall behind. And, you know, the ones that are just moving on this very, very quickly, the states that have already said we're going to rapidly deploy 5G and broadband and we're going to get everything out of the way in order to do it, they're the ones that are winning. And uh, so I think that competitive pressure, um, you know, uh, and, the, and the fact that businesses and money and, you know, are moving to more friendly states, and now you see everybody sort of blocking out of New York City, right, Dave, in some of these urban areas. Um, that, and uh, so there's the opportunity for places like Arkansas and rural areas and suburban and exurban areas to attract these people. And I think it's part of the competitive mix. And that's yeah, I, the argument that we have to make to local officials, and, and, uh, and they're starting to get it. Yeah, a good example of that is uh, Tesla, <clears throat> excuse me, saying they're going to build a new factory in Austin instead of uh, Tulsa, and this played a huge part in it. Uh, yeah. Austin is very much on the cusp of 5G and, and other technologies. So. I'm coming down to the end of our interview here for people who want more information about this, because it's very important that people educate themselves on this. Where should they go to get more information? Well, go to the SBE Council website, our organization, sbecouncil.org. You can sign up for our Small Business Insider e-news for free. We're on top of this issue. It's so important to small businesses and entrepreneurship. And I tell you, if Small business, if you don't have access to broadband, you really were not able to navigate and possibly not even survive the pandemic. So we, that's why this is one of our top issues, along with access to capital and other things that we're working on in Washington. SBECouncil.org. Follow us on Twitter, at SBECouncil, or on Facebook, SBECouncil. And uh, we have a lot of information on how you can weigh in as a citizen or an entrepreneur or a small business owner Uh, in terms of making many of the things that we're working on happen from a legislative and regulatory perspective. Ms. Kerrigan, thank you for your time. I appreciate it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you, Dave. We'll let you go. We'll have you on in the near future again. we got to get another break in uh, coming up on our news. Let's do that here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm back with you here in just a few moments. That was a great uh, discussion. Uh, with Karen Kerrigan from SBE Council. Uh, You'll want to look into uh, their uh, information, and you need to really, I'm just being honest with you, because if you're a parent, you've got a kid in school, or you're a small business person, you've got to get with the program as far as broadband goes. So please get yourself as uh, educate it as you possibly can. All right, in this segment, let's talk about Portland, Oregon. I don't know about you, 
But this disgusts me with these major cities. Now, I don't live in a major city anymore. I grew up outside a major city. I was born in Gary, Indiana. I was raised outside of Chicago when the boss, that's what they called Mayor Richard Daly, the man, uh, during the time that he ran the, the city. And uh, as I said, uh, during those days, you, you were expected to keep the buses running on time and keep the streets cleared of snow uh, during the, uh, the the winter time and keep crime down. Well, I can tell you that's not happening at all in Chicago anymore. And uh, a lot of this stuff that's going on in Baltimore, Washington, D.C., New York City, uh, San Francisco, L.A., uh, up in Portland, Oregon. I want to talk about Portland especially. I'll get a hold of my friend Lars Larson, who's a talk show host up in uh, Portland, and get him on next week, and we'll spend uh, a half hour, an hour with him talking about what's going on in that city. Uh, this mayor there in Portland is letting people burn their their city down uh they've been out in front of city hall and uh just raising hell night in night out byron york reported that oregon officials uh seem to be in denial about what is taking place around their courthouse just because the disorder has not spread to the entire city of portland they suggest that everything is really okay uh quote from a democratic representative uh, State Representative Earl uh, Blumenauer, who represents part of uh, Portland, said on the House floor in uh, Oregon Tuesday, uh, Portland, Oregon is not out of control, to be sure. And I want you to listen to this. This is why the, the way a leftist talks. Stupid. I mean, I'm just saying it's stupid. When you listen to this, this is stupidity uh, personified for you, to be sure. There are some people who have strong feelings. Okay, you got Antifa and you've got uh, uh, the anarchists uh, throwing Molotov cocktails and uh, throwing rocks and all kinds of stuff, golf balls with 10 penny nails at the police. And uh, the police are to the point that they won't even go into these areas. And so I guess these are the people that have strong feelings, continuing on what he said. And there are some who have done things that are inappropriate, uh, inappropriate to what we got here. Let me, I just lost my place, and unlawful. But that's the challenge of local officials and our state officials to manage it, unquote. Well, what's the problem here? The problem is simple. You know, uh, President Trump has brought in federal people to try to quail some of this and produce, and uh, protect uh, federal property. And he says uh, the problem is local and state officials are not managing it. Portland police have taken pains to say they are staying away from the crowds attacking the courthouse. After Sunday night's rioting, police issued a statement to make clear they weren't anywhere near the rioters. And they're saying that because the mayor has told them to stay away. Now, just for a moment, pause to think about that. The mayor is saying, I am not cracking down on lawlessness. 
I'm going to let these lawless people continue their ways. If we let them continue doing it, I guess they figure they'll finally get tired and, uh, and move on to, to something, uh, something else. Uh, Kimberly Strassel uh, says, as a native Oregonian who still has friends, family there, I can attest that what is happening in Portland and has been happening for several years now bears no relation to, quote, peaceful, unquote, protesting. Antifa, anarchists, riots, Biden ought to visit before he speaks out. Several police may have uh, permanent eye damage, it's being reported from Fox News, because the protesters are using uh, lasers. You know that's illegal in the, in the country, to point a laser at an airplane because it can blind somebody? But yet here the protesters are using it against Local police. Uh, On uh, Wednesday night, the mayor of Portland tried to appease the rioters, but they verbally abused him. Caution uh, on that, because if I played it for you, you couldn't believe that the language that were being used. A Democratic state representative from Oregon refuses to believe things are out of control. Hasn't been there, but can't believe that it's out of control. As for... Portland moms on the street. I don't know if you heard about this. You know, moms going out and telling the children that are rioting, uh, this isn't nice. Uh, they're finding out that uh, they aren't moms and that some don't even identify as women. So that, that's what's going on uh, in Portland, Oregon right now. It is complete chaos and they have they have the uh, audacity to tell the president he can't bring in uh, federal uh, people to protect federal property. Well, that's his job. His job is to keep law and order. It just amazes me uh, that people think that it's all right to let these people run roughshod over the rights of uh, Americans. But that's exactly what uh, what they're doing. So now let me ask this. Have you heard about Reuters uh, or Rutgers? Pardon me, I said Reuters. I've got the uh, uh, website on my mind. Uh, Rutgers, the, the uh, university in New Jersey, is dumbing down their entire English department for the benefit of Black Lives Matter. Now, this takes me back to years ago, where in California, they were including Ebonics into uh, the curriculum of the universities. And so you've got to ask yourself, if you're supposed to call out uh, people that have been struggling with education, we should be asking them to do more and not less to pull them forward, not let them regress. How is this not an insult to them? From the story, under a so-called critical grammar uh, way of teaching, quote, this approach challenges the familiar dogma that writing instruction 
should limit emphasis on grammar and sentence level issues so as to not put students from multilingual, non-standard academic English backgrounds at a disadvantage. Instead, it encourages students to develop, develop a critical awareness of the variety of choices available to them with regard to micro-level issues in order to empower them and equip them to push against biases based on written accents. That you have an accent in the way that you write. These are crazy people. Look, I I remember when uh, I had a huge, huge argument with a teacher. Uh, When my my son, who now is 37, going to be 37 years old, here in October, about, uh, you know, um, writing where you didn't have to learn to spell the words correctly. From school one day, and he, he was telling me he had wrote this story. And I said, great, bring it over here and read it to me. And he, he, he sat down next to me, and I'm looking at this gibberish that was on the paper. And I said, I go, well, son, go ahead and read that to me. And so it was very obvious he wasn't reading anything. He was making it up as he went. He was making a story up in his head and telling it, but that's not what was written on the piece of paper. And for the life of me right now, I can't remember uh, what this theory was called. If I if I recall it I'll mention it because you'll know exactly what I'm talking about and I went down to his first grade teacher and said what are you teaching my child I said all of these words and I I had taken a red pen oh god don't do that now I did that with a a person that worked in a news department at a radio station one time and uh, circled all the words that they had misspelled and all the grammatical errors that they had made. And they took that uh, to the uh, uh, general manager and said that I, I was uh, creating a hostile work environment and was told that I shouldn't do that anymore because, Dave, you know, kids don't, uh, just don't learn or, or you can't deal with them this way anymore. And so I go down and talk to this teacher, and I, I, I say to her, I go, what are you teaching my child? And she says, oh, this is a way for them to use uh, creative writing. That's what it was called, creative writing. I don't know if you remember that term or not. But the key was to have the child write a story spelling out the words any which way that they wanted to, using grammar any which way that they wanted to, because they wanted to unleash the creative uh, essence of the child. And I looked at the teacher and I said, okay, that's well and fine. You want them to be creative, but why not make them go back and cre- and, and correct all their misspellings? in what they're writing 
oh, no, 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 Mr. Ellsworth, we don't want to do that. That will shut down the creative urge. And I said, and, and anyway, Mr. Ellsworth, you have to understand that they're going to be uh, doing their deal uh, on computers. And because they're going to do it on computers, they got spell check now. And I looked at her and I said, okay, there, there, and there. T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E, T-H-E-I-R, T-H-E-R-E. So it puts those three words up. If the child has no idea of how to spell that word, how do they know which one they're supposed to choose uh, to replace the word that they've used, that the spell check uh, is trying to figure out what it is they're saying? And she couldn't answer that question. They were teaching and bringing children up to fail. And my son still has all kinds of problems with English. I'll come back, talk further about this story. We've got to get a break in. Let's do that. So Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Final segment uh, for today. Uh, you might be watching this on Facebook, so you're hearing it live as I do it. Uh, if not, you're listening in at 6 o'clock uh, on 101.1, or you are... Uh, you know, listening to it on the podcast because it goes up at 10 o'clock. But bottom line is you're with me now, whatever time that is and in what me- methodology you're taking it in on and you're hearing this and you need to hear this because Rutgers is considered one of the uh, very good uh, universities in New Jersey. When we talk, we've been talking about Rutgers because they have uh, dumbed down their English department. Years ago, you remember when uh, universities started saying Ebonics were okay. And Ebonics was a a term given uh, to minorities who spoke uh, uh, like uh, they were standing on the street corner somewhere. Denzel Washington one time used to say when he went back to his hometown, uh, if he didn't talk in Ebonics, everybody thought that he had sold out to the white man. Understand this. Because he was an educated black man, he was against his race because he spoke proper English. And, you know, if you don't speak proper English, if you don't have a, a legitimate grasp of English... Don't expect to move up in our country. You've got to be able to communicate, and you communicate by the rules that have been established over time, from Sanskrit to written English today. But here's Rutgers teaching kids that are minority students that's not necessary. Instead, they say, and I quote them, it encourages students to develop a critical awareness of the variety of choices available to them with regard to micro-level issues in order to empower them and equip them to push against biases based on, this is their quote, not mine, written accents. Now remember, these are the same people that are telling you if you're white, you got white allergies. And uh, those are allergies that um, make you uh, not, you know, a, a, 
uh, have the ability to teach, you know, black students because you expect them uh, to be speaking proper English. Here they're saying you got a variety of choices. No, you don't. That's a lie. That is a lie. I'm sorry. I mean, even when uh, Soul, Soul on Ice was written back in the 60s, it was written in proper English. It wasn't written in street vernacular. It's incredible what they're doing. What Rutgers is doing is they're condemning these students to a subpar future. And that's not right. That's not correct. That's not helping them. This is this uh, fantastical thought process that people have that, uh, hey, if it's proper English, uh, no, that's, that's uh, bigoted. That's racist. Uh, you're being told that you've got to speak white man language. It ain't white man's language. It's all, it's all the rules that have come through us through history. What a bunch of DAs. I don't know, you know, what to say about these people except for that. And then in the last few moments that I got for you today, a story today from Politico says a plurality, 46% of Americans believe that cancel culture, quote, has gone too far. About a quarter of Americans, many of whom are perhaps blissfully offline, said they didn't know of or had no opinion on the matter whatsoever. So maybe, I'm hoping, and, it, and, and I think maybe the change started when the left, uh, the, the radical, the rabbit left, started taking some time to turn their attention to just the lefties and started eating their own about cancel culture. And uh, just let me use one story in particular that has just happened here recently in the last two weeks, and that is these radical leftists that are saying that Disney needs to pull down the musical Hamilton because it's not good for uh, the uh, uh, folks that are, uh, how should we say, uh, not with it, so to speak, and it's white supremacy in a totally black uh, musical. Uh, that is what was uh, said on uh, uh, for these folks on Hamilton. They want Disney to pull it down. Disney, uh, to their credit, has not capitulated to that yet. But if it gets any stronger, don't think that that won't happen. Give you a, a, a time, a couple of books that you might want to take a look at, at least one. Kevin Williamson, and I'm going to try to get him on in the nearest uh, future as I can. Uh, he has written a book called The Smallest Minority, Independent Thinking in the Age of Mob Politics. And uh, that's where we're at right now. And remember I talked about... Uh, Marshall McLuhan, and when he said that the more technology took over our lives, like Facebook and Twitter and all the rest, we would become more and more tribal. And that is exactly what is happening in our culture uh, today. 
So you want to keep all of this in mind. This is stuff that you got to think about. Uh, you you look at uh, most Americans now have political views that they're afraid to share. Why? Because we're tribal now. You know, you got these small tribes out there that attack you uh, because you're conservative. And they attack strenuously. They make your life miserable. They show up on the, the doorsteps of your house and, and raise hell. You, you just got to know that you got to get away from that stuff as, as uh, best as you can. Well, that's, that's what I've got for you today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Tomorrow, uh, on Friday, uh, we'll have on, uh, of course, uh, Chris Corbett and uh, our good friend uh, uh, Robert Steinbach, and we'll talk on what's going on, the issues with the law. And there's a lot about the law we need to talk about. So tomorrow at 6 a.m., I'll see you here at 101.1 FM, The Answer.